Today's guest is local. She's from the Cleveland, Ohio area, and she is Susan Kruger. Susan is the Director of Physician Services at Lake Health in Ohio. She is an experienced physician practice management professional supporting multiple practices. Her experience has taught her that enhanced communication skills enable medical staff and physicians to improve a patient's perception of the care they receive. As a training professional with more than 20 years experience, she excels at delivering communication skills training that focus on the empathetic use of words, body language, and vocal tone to achieve more therapeutic interactions. She develops interactive sessions to engage clinicians and show them that subtle changes in their communication styles can positively affect the lives of patients, families, and coworkers. She is a fellow in the Medical Group Management Association and certified patient experience professional in the Barrel Institute. Her undergraduate training was in supervision from Purdue University. Susan says, I am blessed to have two living parents, a spouse, two grown children, and one grandson, who are my reason for being passionate about patient experience. Susan is also going to be a contributor to our upcoming patient safety charity anthology titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. And I'm so happy to share a local Cleveland area guest with you. So welcome to the show, Susan. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. It's my pleasure. We always talk about communication and how that is the key to any successful venture, whether it's healthcare or a marriage. Tell us briefly, if you would, about the work that you do to bring about better communication between healthcare providers and patients. I think one of my most favorite things that we work on here are small communication skills labs. And we put a provider in each of the roles of provider, patient, and family member. We do mock patient visits. And then we discuss the role of each and how it felt to be, so to speak, on the other side of the the desk or the bed in those roles as patient family members and also as a patient. So it's pretty telling for the physicians that, oh, wow, this is totally different. I um, am experiencing the visit completely different when I'm on the other side. And so you actually stop work for a couple hours, don't you, when you go into the physician offices and everybody in the office has to attend this training. Tell us how that works. That's right. We close the offices for two hours, so it's a significant commitment on our part to take all the providers and the team members away from their work. It allows them to concentrate, and we begin our sessions with talking about what is patient experience, why it's important, and how we as individuals are a part of it, important part of it. And then after we've done that, then we actually walk through the mock patient visits. So depending on the specialty of the practice we're in, we make those visits fit the situation. So if we're in cardiology, we're talking about a cardiology patient. If we're in orthopedics, we're talking about orthopedic patient. And then again, we bring all of the team members back into a setting where we can debrief and review what things uh, went well and then opportunities for improvement. Oh, I love that role playing because it. I've always said that uh, you get better care, I think, from someone who has actually been on the other side. I've interviewed so many physicians who have said that it wasn't until they were actually in the bed as a patient for whatever their particular uh, surgery or issue was that they realized what it felt like to be a patient. So what you're doing is giving them that opportunity to do that without having any medical issues. Right. Yeah. That's so true. Periodically, we'll see little light bulbs go off. Oh, now I see how 
that comes across to the patients, which they had not considered before. Mm -hmm. That's the fun part of the work. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So is there any kind of uh, pushback when you say, hey, we're shutting down for two hours and we're going to play games here? Are they saying to you, no, we don't want to do this? How is that received? Um, Sometimes there is a lot of pushback from providers, but after we're finished, then they come back and they'll say, oh, now I see why it was important, and I do appreciate that we took time to work that out. Mm-hmm. It's also a great opportunity for team building. Many times the physicians don't really interact with those who work at the front desk because their roles are so different. Sometimes providers have never sat in their own uh, lobby, so to speak, to see what it looks like out there. So it's a great opportunity for um, everybody involved to see the roles and how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So we do this to help improve the patient's perception of the care they receive. Does it improve the perception or does it actually improve the care they receive? Well, it is about perception and the perception that we have as patients is often how we're treated, which goes right to those communication skills. And when we're going through the mock visits, we are talking about What specific things can you do um, and say? Your body language needs to match your words. Your words need to be in plain language that the individual can understand. So we're breaking it down to the level that the patient needs to be able to understand. And then talking about things like the teach-back method, how do you get the patient to say in their own words what you've just said to them, making sure they understand what you're asking them to do. We forget. We get busy. Some physicians see 25, you know, 30 patients a day, and you're just hopping from one to another. And it takes them them back to where they, oh, I need to stop and think of this as an individual and what's going on with them and how would I treat them. So this changes behavior, but as I'm thinking about it, does it change behavior long term or does the next day when they've got 40 patients and everybody's running in and out, how is that sustainable? Well, that is the trick, isn't it? Sustainability. So the CG caps or the surveys that we send to our patients are part of that because the physicians see their scores. They see the comments that the patients write about them. So that's one way it helps them to remember the importance. And then also, you know, our senior vice president of medical affairs is constantly sending messages to the physicians about the things that they've done well with their patients that are on those reports, and then there's some need for improvement. You know, we periodically offer follow-up sessions if they want to take advantage of that and come back to another session to review some of those techniques. Um, they're open, open to do that, too. So you mentioned something I want to delve into just a little bit, the CG CAPS. It's the Clinician and Group Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers Systems. It's a mm-hmm. standardized tool to measure the patient's perception of care provided by physicians in an in-office setting. And most everyone has heard of the HCAP scores. It's like a sister survey to the hospital surveys that we get you know, after a hospital stay. So our Are hospitals and care providers implementing this kind of training because of these CG caps? And (laughs) is that a good question to ask? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that is the honest honest question, and the honest answer is yes. When CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, started talking about this, we realized, hey, we better proactively start 
making sure our providers are communicating in a well in a way that the patients are comfortable and perceive good care. The questions related to the physicians are about respect, explaining, and listening. And those are the three critical factors that we're focusing on during that training as well. But I would say, yes, these types of programs have been created as a result of those surveys being created by CMS. So who is affected by these CG caps? Is there a national implementation that is mandatory? The CG caps is mandatory if your group is larger than 100 physicians. So we employ, you know, that many providers here at Lake Health. So we are required to survey our patients and those are sent out by mail and then also email. So a small provider, say an independent physician practice, is not required to survey their patients, but they do show up. The CMS, you know, can survey those patients themselves. They take comments from patients whenever they can. And then now also the commercial carriers are getting into the game as well. So some commercial carriers, insurance companies have created their own surveys and they're asking their patients, how were you treated by your physician? So the CGCAP surveys information is on physician.gov, physiciancompare.gov, and so you can go and look for a provider to see if they're listed there. And then if you are insured by a commercial carrier, you can go to that website and look for information. So that is an incentive for physicians. We all have pride in our work. And when our name might be associated with something that's not so great, it is an incentive for us to change our behavior. Sure. So Physician Compare website is much like the Hospital Compare website, but it provides Mm -hmm. the viewers with information to allow them to make informed decisions on where to receive care based on feedback strictly on physicians and not hospitals. Correct. Right. Okay. Hospital Compare is the hospital inpatient setting, and uh, Physician Compare is the individual physician. Got it. Got it. And so you say insurance companies are now posting surveys as well. Yes, that's true. And now the difference there is that's only their group of patients. So if, for instance, you're covered by Cigna, Cigna may be surveying your physician, uh, you know, about your physician, and then that's posted on the Cigna website. That's not open to the general public. Got it. Got it. Very interesting, the path we're traveling here. I'm wondering, though, if we're teaching to the test, or in this case, to the patient survey. You know, when you get right down to it, physicians want uh, what's best for their patient. And when they begin to realize that the language they're using, their body language, and the interaction that they have directly affects the outcomes for the patient, that's the motivation because physicians do want their patients to have the best care possible. And when they realize the stress and anxiety that patients are feeling when they come into the office, it makes them, um, encourages them to behave differently. When we work in healthcare, we're so immune to how the language is so different. We're taught that language and so we think everybody understands it. But Not everyone does, and then that causes stress for the person who's receiving the information and confusion. So reducing that anxiety helps the outcomes. Yep, the whole thought of health literacy really needs to be on everyone's mind during any conversation because you have no idea who is sitting across from you and what they understand, what they don't, what makes sense to them. So interesting. Now, you had talked about a quote by Thomas Lee that resonates with you. Would you share that? 
Thomas Lee is the CEO for Prescani who manages those surveys. And he's an experienced physician and practice management professional. And he says, great athletes find a way to concentrate and be at their very best every single day. In medicine, it's with every single patient. It doesn't matter how wonderful you may have been in the past. Everything depends on how you're going to be with the next patient you see. The effort to improve patient experience is really about creating a context in which caregivers feel supported and motivated to be at their best with every single patient. It's about the future, not the past, and it's about being highly reliable at being empathetic. This perspective was useful for me, and I think it's the right one for healthcare. I love that, Susan. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really think it's that simple, isn't it? It is, but it's a very difficult thing to do when you're seeing lots of patients mm-hmm. and sometimes they're very complicated cases and you are on a time crunch and it's it's hard to stop and think of the person in front of you and engage directly with that patient. Mm-hmm. And I think as patients, we don't recognize that in our healthcare providers. They are human, but we don't even look at them that way. We expect that fresh set of eyes that when they came in to us, it doesn't matter what just went on for the earlier part of the day. You're here now and it's me and I demand this kind of attention and I deserve it, which you actually do. But, mm-hmm. you know, the empathy on goes both ways. I would think that the, you know, that a patient actually has to think a little empathetically to say, what is this person? and been through all morning. When a physician enters the room, instead of them asking about us, I mean, we could ask about them, like, how are you? How is your day? Has this been a rough day? I mean, why can't we talk like human beings, um, you know, and almost hug the guy and say, hey, I'm sorry you had a bad day. (laughs) I'm sorry I have three questions, but I'm going to ask them. I don't know. We don't approach other people that way. So, you know, as a patient, you, we often set physicians and providers, you know, on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And we feel they're so much smarter than we are. They're so much busier than we are. And so we give them some control and they guide the situation. But I like your idea that, you know, next time I go into a provider, I will ask them, how's your day going? I'm going to start promoting this because I think that makes a lot of sense <laughs> just to say, hey, doc, you're looking a little tired. What's what's going on? How are you feeling today? That would surprise somebody. And you know, I always tell it people, would. I always tell people anything you can do to stand out, not in an extreme way, but anything you can do to stand out and be somewhat different, I do believe you are going to get better care, whether it's being informed. But now we're talking about shocking somebody with just a kind word that I'm sure they seldom get. I love it. Good. Look what we came up with today. Yeah. So we talked about sustainability again. So if a physician has to come in with fresh eyes with every patient and think there's no past, this is my current uh, viewpoint right now, how do they sustain that thought and the ability and the energy from patient to patient day after day? I think it's a challenge. I know that some of them do try to change their behaviors to look at that. The old saying, it takes 21 days to change your behavior. So when we're talking about changing behavior, we do try to get it down to, okay, just try changing one thing. Don't focus on changing lots of things. Just change one thing at a time. If that's shaking their hand or looking them in the eye or sitting down, focus on one thing before you try to change another. Mm -hmm. It becomes part of your routine. 
Very, very interesting. So any tips for managing, say, patient expectations for a provider from the minute that the patient walks into the reception area until the physician follows up with tests maybe a week later? Any thoughts on how to help that healthcare provider manage this from the beginning to the end? One of the things we talk about is determining what can be accomplished in this visit, especially for primary care physicians. Patients will come in they may have not given the exact reason they're there when they called in for their schedule. So from the beginning, we try to re-verify why the person is there. Research says sometimes it takes three times before the person will actually say the real reason that they're there, maybe for embarrassment reasons. Um, They don't want to reveal to the scheduler why they're really coming. So then we also talk about um, making sure we know and we clarify with the patient we can address this thing today, if they have four or five things, we might not be able to address them all. We may have to ask you to come back because it gets more and more complicated Mm -hmm. and more time consuming. Narrowing down, being specific about what your conversation is going to be about today is one of the things that we do. That makes a lot of sense. And that's an interesting statistic that you gave that often takes three times for for a patient to really divulge the reason why they're there. That's kind of scary. To the patients listening, take heed. You only have a limited amount of time. You don't want to be holding back when you only have 10 minutes to speak with somebody. All right. Well, we've talked about a lot of things today, and we're going to begin to wrap up. Is there anything we missed that you wanted to highlight? That this is passionate work for me, and I believe in your work as well, you want patients to be their own advocates and to speak up and to like you said earlier, be empathetic that the physicians are busy professionals, but you do have the right to expect them to slow down and give you you know, the time that you need and be good about speaking up for yourself. You've got to, got to speak up and stay alive, right? That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my passion. Um, you know, with this for this work and for the patients. I'm also so passionate about the providers. We have excellent providers on our staff and in Greater Cleveland. We are so fortunate to live in this environment. Absolutely, we are. It's a great city to explore different healthcare options. So thank you so much for today, Susan. Susan Kruger was thank with us. Thank you. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.